Hello, and welcome to Faith, Fathers, and Families, where the focus of this family ministry is restoring a foundation of biblical truth and reclaiming biblical foundations for our lives. You can visit us on the web at www.faithfathersfamilies.org, where you can learn more about our ministry, send us a prayer request, or hear past recorded messages. And now, a biblical message from Joshua Hernandez, founder of Faith Fathers Families. Let's turn our Bibles to James, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1. And it reads, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. All right, join me in a word of prayer, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for all these people. We thank you for everything that you do for us every day. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Father, we just pray today that you would illuminate this passage or this verse for us, that your words would ring true in our hearts, that your Spirit would uh, pierce the very core of our soul and just drive us to our knees in humility under your headship and in service to you. Um, we pray that you would just give uh, me wisdom to speak truth from your holy word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so most of you know that in the uh, New Testament, we find several Jameses. Okay, so this book, however, was probably and most likely written by James, the brother of Jesus, sometime between 40 and 62 A.D. And there was a lot of persecution going on. They were dispersed amongst other places and other peoples, peoples that didn't believe what they believed. Sometimes they were hostile to them. It was a very bleak situation, and they were, they were having some troubles in the dispersion. And James comes along. He focuses on two major items in his letter. First, the attitude of Christians in response to adversity and living, secondly, with true wisdom from above. You know, the Bible says, professing to be wise, they became fools, because if our wisdom does not come from above, we are indeed foolish people. Now, this is especially important concerning matters of speech, wealth, and how we spend our time. James fleshes out multiple issues and situations. An outline to James consists of exhortations, admonitions, and advice. We see that all throughout the letter on various topics. It's it's repeated all throughout. James looks at the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, the persecution they're going through. He looks at the church, that's us, and all the pain and suffering in the world and says, listen up. Here it is. Here is the main idea. This is what I really need you to focus on. If you take anything from this letter, take this. Total allegiance to God. Just like the sermon is entitled, Are We Bondservants to God or Are We Self-Seeking? James wants his readers to know that Christianity, it's not just a Wednesday, Sunday plaything or visit to some building. It's a complete dependence upon, relying upon, seeking out, submitting to, and living for, and, the, and bondage to the will of God. You know, studying this book, has helped expose me for the liar I am and knocked out from beneath me the pedestal of excuses I stand on. That is, God's word permeates my soul to the very core of my being, my heart. 
Isn't that what Proverbs 4.23 says? The heart is the control center of who we are. And when it gets there, it spiritually cuts open my heart and exposes my wickedness. Idols begin pouring out and agitation abounds because now I'm exposed and my sin wound is gaping open. Now I start to realize that my service, quote unquote, to God, my bond servanthood to God can quickly become service to an idol. You see, any time I supplant, that is, replace Christ on the throne of my heart with something else, I'm worshiping and serving an idol. So let's back down at the text. James 1.1 James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. So what's the cure? James has the cure. He describes himself as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the word bond or bondage refers to anything that fastens or restrains. You guys ever heard of J.B. Weld? It's a uh, liquid, two tubes, and what you do is you squeeze out a certain amount from each tube, you mix it together, has a chemical reaction, and you can stick or bond just about anything to anything. It's very solid stuff. But bondage could also refer to being bound in sin, right? If we continue sinning every day and we continue sin, sin after sin, we become bound or, or in bondage to that sin. It's hard to break free. could mean bondage to slavery. What's the Bible tell us about the Israelites? 400 years they were in bondage to the Pharaoh of Egypt, slavery. In fact, even the creation is subject to the slavery of corruptions, Romans 8.22. Bond can mean a loss of freedom or service to another, but it also has some positive connotations as well. You see, Ephesians 4.3 talks about the characteristic traits of the Holy Spirit and how the bond of peace holds it all together. You see, all those uh, godly characteristic traits that are endowed in us by the Holy Spirit, peace is the, the bond, the J.B. Weld, that holds it all together. Paul also refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ using the same word, our Greek word, for bond. So then you have servant, or doulos, that means servant. A servant was neither, neither a free man nor a hired servant. He was, in fact, a slave, the rightful property of his master. Christ himself did not come to be served, but to serve, and emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. You see, being a bondservant to God and the Lord Jesus Christ sounds a lot like this. Let it be done according to your will, God, not mine. By calling himself a bondservant of Christ, James acknowledges his humble willingness to be at the Lord's disposal and live according to his will. Now I wonder, just a little bit of premature application here. Do you do that? Let's look at that verse again. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. So my first point, are you willing to submit to the master according to his will? Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. Let's see, y'all ever seen that movie Lord of the Rings uh, by J.R. Tolkien? There's this character in there, his name is Gollum. He's a foul little hobbit who lives in the wild. He eats raw fish or whatever he can find, right? And if you don't know, a hobbit is really just a small person with big hairy feet. Um, 
I'm not that small, but I do have hairy feet, so I could be a tall hobbit. <laughs> anyway, Gollum, he's like got three strands of hair on his otherwise bald head, and his mind is all but lost because he's been driven by this insatiable need for this thing, this ring that he's chasing, right? He believes it will give him life, power, happiness, right? It's driven him mad. Now, he, he's, he figures out that uh, another hobbit called Frodo has what he craves and he's drawn to him, right? He begins following him around and referring to him as master, 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 right? Because the master has the precious. That's what Gollum calls it, the precious. Uh, the master treats him well. He shows pity and he takes care of him. Master knows Gollum's struggle. I mean, because he bears the burden. In fact, he identifies with Gollum and he understands him. Now, because of the way Master treats him, we soon find out that in Gollum's warped mind, he has an alternate personality, and his name is Smeagol. You see, Smeagol was who Gollum used to be before he was driven mad by this insatiable need or lust for this thing. That he... But because his Master treats him well, or Frodo treats him well, he begins to outwardly resemble Smeagol. He knows the master loves him, takes care of him, and concerns himself with Smeagol's good. He even begins helping the master in a type of humble adoration and does what the master says. Oh, but once Smeagol faces persecution, he blames the master and starts to resent him. Plots ways of taking him out. Filthy little hobbits, he calls them. Right? He wants to get back what he believes is rightfully his, this lofty idea of autonomy and self-made power, a diluted perception of freedom. Sounds a lot like uh, Genesis 3 lie, doesn't it? He convinces himself he's better off without the master and in control of his own life and starts thinking of ways he can take him out. So let me ask you again. Are you willing to submit to the master according to his will? Because as bondservants to God and the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be willing to wholly submit to the service of God through Jesus Christ as rightful property to the Master. Now ask yourself last week, yesterday, at work, in your relationships, to your spouse, your children, your family, your friends, your co-workers, your boss, around the water cooler when the gossip train comes speeding down the tracks, ask yourself, were you a Gollum or a Smeagol? What about in your devotional life? Hmm? Are you going at it alone? Or are you finding ways to take the master out and live on your own? So what does a bondservant look like? A bondservant must be willing to submit to the master according to his will. So funny, as I was studying this, um, I realized that being a bondservant is not just submitting to the master's will. But it's drawing our very life from the master. And it reminded me of a, a toddler, probably because I have a two to three year old in my house. Probably because I have a three year old in my house. And he really, really loves his mommy. You know, for some reason, us boys are a bit clingier with our mothers at this stage. My youngest, <laughs> so funny, he follows his mom around so much that she has to run to the bathroom and lock the door before he, she, he can get there. As soon as she gets up to walk away, he grabs her legs and just hangs on for dear life. And if somehow 
she magically disappears from the room. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. He has a meltdown. Mommy, where's mom? She's gone. I want her. I want her. It's got me thinking. Man, are we like that with Christ? Do you seek him passionately, looking for him, drawing your very identity from him? Brings me to my second point. We must find life in Christ or we will accept death in the world. Let me say that again. We must find life in Christ or we will accept death in the world. Let me see if I can uh, illustrate this for you. Does anybody know what a symbiotic relationship is? A symbiotic relationship, most of you know, is where two organisms live in close proximity or one on the other and they benefit from each other. Uh, for example, um, you know, big whales, they have like... Um, little fishies and other marine life that live on them and they clean like bacteria and things like that. So the fishies and other uh, marine life, they get fed, right? They get a free meal and they do the well a favor. It's a symbiotic relationship. There's different kinds of symbiotic relationships. Um, our relationship to Christ represents a parasitism relationship. I know this is going to sound tough, but hang with me. Let me see if I can explain this to you. A parasitum relationship is where one species, the parasite, benefits at the expense of the other. Now, I realize that's a tough thought to think. You like what I did there, a little uh, um, alliteration, as Steve likes to say, right? It's a tough thought to think. But we have to realize and accept how wicked our sin is and how we bring absolutely nothing to our relationship with Christ. We must draw our very life from him. Christ came to love us, and we sent him to the cross. He came to teach us, and he was smitten and stricken and acquainted with grief at our behest. At the end of his blood-laden life, he became sin who knew no sin, so that we, the parasite, might become the righteousness of God. What's that all mean? It means that all my shame, my guilt, my idolatry and sin and yours was put on Christ through God's wrath. It's tough to find a word that adequately describes the force at which our sin penetrated his body on the cross. So I want you to think about the crash test dummy. So the dummies inside the car represent our sin. The car is God's wrath speeding down the road. And the wall it smashes into, that's Christ on the cross. That's the force at which our wickedness and our sin and our shame and our guilt and our idolatry, lust, all of that. That's the force at which it was imputed into Christ's body on the cross. He did that so that whoever puts their faith and trust in Christ and Christ only will receive life, eternal life. That's one organism benefiting at the expense of another, my friends. Being a bondservant to God is finding life in Christ or accepting death in the world. A symbiotic relationship where we are the beneficiaries. Where will you find your life today? Hmm? Do you find life, do you draw your very breath and life from God through Christ? 
Or does it come from the world? Do you find life in your job? Your friends? Your grades if you're in school? Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being proud of the accomplishments and you know, a job well done, projects done, deals closed, good grades. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if that's where our life is coming from, if that's where our purpose is coming from, our identity, if that's where our breath permeates our body from, we're wrong. Life doesn't come from relationships, doesn't come from material wealth, it doesn't come from your spouse, it doesn't come from your children, it doesn't come from your successes, your failures, your school, your friends, your relationships. It comes from Christ and Christ on the cross. You will either find life in Christ or accept death in the world. There's no alternative. So what does a bondservant look like? Well, first, a bondservant must be willing to submit to the master according to his will. Not your will, not my will, not somebody else's will, my friend's will, not Will's will, God's will. His will, not mine, not yours. Second, a bondservant must draw his or her life from the master. And what brings all of this together is the third thing James points out. Humility. And you look at that verse, James 1.1, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes of dispersed abroad greetings. And you say, well, sure, but Josh, how does that speak humility? Let me see if I can show this to you. First of all, you see, without humility, we are simply self-seeking idolaters playing games, right? Sure, we come to church on Wednesday, we come to church on Sunday, we, you know, throw a few prayer requests up during the day or the week, maybe. Uh, we get through a couple of pieces of scripture. Um, but if, if we're not doing this through humility, seeking to be a, uh, uh, the Lord's will and drawing a very life in Christ, then we are simply self-seeking idolaters playing church games. Let me show this to you. Humility. Notice that when James refers to his servanthood, he doesn't just say Jesus right? But uses the Lord Jesus Christ to refer to Christ. You say, yeah, well, what's that got to do with humility? Well, let me show you. While writing his letter to the church scattered abroad and us, he doesn't just simply say, hey, everyone, it's me, James. You know, Jesus's bro. You know, you know me. I'm the Savior's brother, right? No, he, James places himself below Jesus in humility by referring to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that's the personal, all-knowing God with full authority over my life. Listen, again, he is not just the occasional Wednesday-Sunday God you seek when things are bad. He is the author and finisher of life. He is the great I Am. There is no other you are either with him or you're against him. Christ said that himself. That's not me. That's Christ. You're either with me or against me, he said. It's his rule or yours. You see, being a bondservant to Jesus Christ and the Lord, being a bondservant to God and the Lord Jesus Christ is seeking the master's will as rightful property of the owner. 
and finding life in Christ or accepting death in the world through humility, placing Christ above us where he belongs and on the throne of our heart where he belongs. James knows this. He says not only is he Lord, right, all-knowing, personal God with full authority, he is Jesus the man. James says that this is the great and high priest who, like us, was tempted in every way but without sin. This is a man who identifies with us. He hurt like us. He felt sadness, pain, and remorse. Not because of what he did wrong, but because of what he knew we did wrong. He looked at us and saw us destroying our lives in sin and felt remorse for us. He is the man, this man, and he bled like us. James says, look here. Lord, he is, personal, all-knowing authority over my life, God. Jesus, he is, the man who, like us, was tempted in every way without sin. And Christ, the Messiah, he is. The promised blessing to Abraham. In your name, God tells Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Here it is. The Lord Jesus Christ is the blessing of salvation. He is the blessing of forgiveness. He is the blessing that God promised to Abraham. And all the nations in Abraham would be blessed through Christ. James recognizes just what it means to be a bondservant to God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Humility, third point, humility is the key the only key to unlocking true God and Christ-centered servanthood. There's no other way. The Bible calls us fools if we think there's another way. It calls us fools if we think there's another way. Christ said, I am the only way. I am the only truth. Nobody, and I am the only life. And nobody comes to the Father, uh, which is God, unless it's through me. Not, okay, maybe through me. Not if you decide to come through me. Not, all right, do your best and do good and then it's okay. No, through Christ, through his blood on the cross, as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus, excuse me, as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must submit to the master according to his will as rightful property. We must draw life from Christ or accept death in the world. And the only way we can accomplish that is through the humility of placing Christ where he belongs, above us on the throne of our heart as we kneel before him in humble submission. That is what it looks like to be a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your infallible, inspired, inerrant word, your holy scriptures, God. They speak so much truth to us. They help us. They guide us. They lead us. They help us to know you. And God, with a knowledge of you, we can fully understand a knowledge of ourselves. And then we can fully understand that the only way to fix ourselves is through your Son, our Savior, and his blood on the cross at Calvary. There is no other way. There is no other purpose. There is no other life except through Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that these words that were said here today, 
that they would rest heavy on our hearts and our minds through the coming days, that they would remind us that we must be bond servants to the God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only way to accomplish that is by submitting to your will, seeking life in Christ through humble humility. Lord, I pray for your guidance and your wisdom, and I pray for your safety on all these. In Jesus' name, amen.